Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots and American taxpayers, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at our Northern Command Center on this Monday, January 27th, to start off a new and exciting week. And every week really here is new and exciting because we actually discuss exciting issues, for better or for worse, that affect our lives, that affect our future as a civilization. Now, impeachment, as you well know, no one even understands it. No one cares about it. But we'll have another full week of this nonsense, Bolton to testify, not to testify, the leaked book, this and that. I'm sure you haven't come here to listen to this. You want to hear what's really important, what really matters to your lives. And that's why I need you guys to subscribe to our YouTube page. If you like it, go to Conservative Reviews YouTube page to like our videos. Um, I know some of you like the audio better, but uh, it helps get our message out. If you subscribe and like the YouTube videos as well, you can see our written content at conservativereview.com. I'm um, also go to blazetheblaze.com for our broader sister uh, website, as well as at RM Conservative to follow me on Twitter, dhorowitz at blazemedia.com to follow me or to send me an email. Comments, questions, and concerns are always welcome. So I'm not going to talk about impeachment, but I'm going to start off with impeachment in order not to talk about it. (laughs) Amazing article. If you haven't seen it, AP did some interviews with average Americans and they wrote an article on it titled In Divided America, Some Voters Tuning Out Impeachment Trial. For all the gravity of a presidential impeachment trial, Americans don't seem to be giving it much weight. As House impeachment managers make their case to remove President Donald Trump from office, voters in several states said in interviews with the Associated Press that they're only casually following the Senate's trial or avoiding it altogether. Too busy to pay close attention, bored of the legal arguments, convinced the outcome is preordained, or just plain tired of the whole partisan saga. Web traffic and TV ratings tell a similar story, with public interest seeming to flag after The House voted last month to impeach the president for only the third time in U.S. history. Um, Quote, I've been watching some really odd stuff just to avoid it, said Kim Ashford, 50, a court-appointed advocate for foster children from Gilbert, Arizona. In my circle, everybody's tired of hearing about it. There's nobody budging. Let's just agree to disagree. (sighs) Folks, imagine if for the past three years, because this has really been going on the entire time. Um, before impeachment, it was Mueller, which was really the pre-impeachment. Nobody cared either direction. I mean, that's the reality. Nobody cared about what the president did. If they didn't like the president, they didn't like him because of other reasons. And nor did they care that, oh, really, it's the Democrats that are corrupt with the foreign influence. And you know they illegally ordered a FISA court order. I mean, even if you you're believing that and I I believe it is a problem, but I'm just telling you, nobody cares either way. No runs, no hits, no errors. You're not going to score points on defense, defending the president, having a long trial, defending him, nor are the Democrats going to score points, having a long trial, trying to convict him. It's just not going to go anywhere. It never was. And if for the last three years, Republicans would have been focusing on issues that matter to the safety and security and future of American communities. 
they would be in much better shape. And that could still happen. I say this all the time. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, and I think maybe one or two other Democrats noted this in Iowa. Um, they actually quote some people from Iowa in this article that voters just never talk about Mueller or any of that stuff. They just don't care. What do they care about? Let me give you an issue that embodies what people care about, what instills fear in their hearts, what gives them anxiety, the antithesis of archaic Senate procedures on impeachment and the legalities of the God knows what happened with Ukraine. And that is a public health safety concern, a viral epidemic, this coronavirus. One of the things a senator once told me who is prominent on the issue of immigration, he said when he was running for office, his super PAC polled, I think it was a super PAC, I don't think it was him um, that put out a poll, or maybe it was him, I can't remember, he put out a poll asking people which angle of illegal immigration that bothered them most. So there's a lot that affect the community, affect the culture, uh, the fiscal burden, the language. And people are concerned about all this stuff. The single biggest concern was bringing in contagious diseases to, to the United States. If you want to talk about what gets back to the community and what gets back to the core job of the federal government to protect us, why we have a federal government, you, you, you see this from the 1800s already where we, we lived in a lot more, I would say, a lot freer society. We didn't have this nanny state holding of hands where government would get involved in every aspect of our lives, but they were very strong on quarantines, even domestically, and certainly, certainly those coming in from foreign countries. Uh, the Immigration Nationality Act requires them to detain anyone um, for a sufficient period of time to rule out contagious diseases. That is a core job of government. And we, we did a whole series on this last year with the border crisis showing how the government was just letting in people. Um, it's inconceivable that the enterovirus and the polio-like symptoms of one of the um, acute flaccidomyelitis, AFM, that this just puzzling uh, disease that, that is, I, I think there's been almost a thousand cases of it in America has never happened uh, before the 2014 Central American crisis. This is a big problem. So now we have in the news, probably after impeachment, the biggest story, which I think should be a big story, is the coronavirus uh, concern from China. You know, it came from this one province in China, but it's really spread everywhere there now. It's, there's like eight cases in Hong Kong. Um, from what the Chinese government is letting out, we know that there were 80 fatalities, they claim, and roughly 2,800 confirmed cases, that's their official count. But the scary thing at this point is that A, we can't trust the Chinese government on anything. I mean, we saw that with the SARS virus, which was the similar, it's born out of coronavirus, similar symptoms, similar causes. Um, it was originated, what was it, in um, it was like late 2001. It lasted all the way to 2003. Uh, there were about seven, eight hundred deaths um, overall, globally. 
there were some cases in America, but I don't think anyone died from it, if I remember correctly. It, it was scary because it happened right after 9-11. And we're all wondering, like, hey, is this biological warfare? But back then, we, if, if you remember following it then, the Chinese government lied. They covered it up. Uh, they have a history of covering up natural disasters where it's really a lot worse than they say it is. And they, uh, you know, oh, you know, three people died in an earthquake. And it turns out, you know, they lost like you know hundreds of thousands of people. So that's that's the concern there. That's the concern there. But then and by the way, by the way, I would note that there is a lot of viral videos on the internet from Chinese that boldly Chinese doctors or individuals that boldly went online at the risk of their own lives to kind of say that the Chinese government is lying, that there's more people in the hospitals and they're saying they're having problems with hospital space in, um, you know, the, the source of the epidemic, which is this one city. So, there, this is likely worse than they're making it out to be. Likely much worse. Now, when you're talking about the coronavirus, here is really the issue we should all be talking about. The very first thing our government should consider, not the last thing, if never, but the first thing is suspending travel to and from the source areas of the epidemic. It's obvious. I mean, whenever you have something that is not native to America, whether it's a particular form of crime or gangs or drugs or honor killings, certain cultural problem, FGM, and contagious diseases that we've either, either never have had in our history or we've eradicated, well, none of that stuff, none of those societal ills, health concerns are, are going to affect us unless you bring them into our country. Now, the conduit for doing that is either through immigration or travel, Port, ports of entry. Sometimes, depending on the country, if there's a lot of people that come illegally through the border, it's at the border as well, land-based entry points and between the points of entry. But that's how you bring it in. If you don't let it into your country, you know, you can't, you're not going to have the problem. It's that simple. But yet, in our history, in recent history, it seems like that's the thing we never consider. In the 2014 Ebola outbreak in West Africa. And then last year, we talked about this a lot in the 2019 outbreak of Ebola in the Congo. We had Congolese coming to our border and we were like processing them. No problem. We weren't considering that. And it just makes no sense. It's not to say that there aren't other precautions you want to take. Sometimes if we feel, feel we have better resources to solve the problem, maybe we'll dispatch emergency personnel to, to the countries that have it. But certainly, you're going to shut off immigration and travel temporarily uh, from those source countries as long as this problem persists. Isn't that obvious? Yet we've never considered it. And here, too, we don't seem to be hearing that. Now we know there are five confirmed cases, two in California, one in Arizona, and then uh, the original ones, the two, um, one in Chicago, one in Seattle. So these were already people that traveled in the Wuhan area, that province surrounding Wuhan City, and they came back. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that we have more immigration and travel from China than any other country. So if you add up the long-term immigrant visas, student visas, green cards, 
We have more than from Mexico. And also, if you add up the tourist visas, China is the largest country on earth. We get roughly, um, or we issue roughly 1.4 million visas, B, B visas to Chinese nationals a year. That's about 4,000 a day, um, more so than we do even to Mexico. So this is going to be a big problem. And you would think already a week or two ago, we would have at least had a partial suspension from certain areas, but we're not really hearing that. They say they're doing better screenings in the airport, but I mean, if you have on average 4,000 people coming on tourist visas, I mean, that's a lot of people to screen out. You would think before this calms down, we would suspend uh, some sort of travel from there. But as always, what happens is that these agencies, whether it's in the State Department or DHS or, or Transportation um, or HHS, they never want to touch two sacred cows, travel and immigration, all the economic concerns. And look, I'm not saying that there aren't economic concerns, that we have a lot of seamless business travel and different things to China and to other countries, but sometimes there are things that are more important to your civilization. We talk about this all the time with certain cultural problems, security problems. It doesn't negate the economics of it. Economically, it's always best to have seamless travel and seamless flow and entry into countries. But I mean, you got to live in the real world and we have real threats. And one of them is certainly health, health threats. So why is it that our government doesn't seem, at least publicly, to be contemplating this? So this is a question that appears to be bothering Senator Josh Hawley, of course. You know, there's only a few that are going to care. My understanding is Senator Tom Cotton as well um, might have written some sort of a letter, but he wrote a letter to the secretaries of Department of Transportation, DHS, State, and HHS. And he says he wants to, he's expressing his concern and wants guidance on behalf of the American people on the when and how of the administration considering restricting travel. And between the lines, you read it, he basically demonstrates that, yay, we don't trust China, but also we don't necessarily trust America. So he requested a response within the week to four pointed questions. You look at the last question, I felt that was very telling. In the event that federal officials make a preliminary determination to rule out restrictions on air travel, Will you commit to inform the public that such a determination has been made in the interests of transparency and appropriate public scrutiny? So notice he's asking them. It almost sounds like he suspects that they've ruled out foreign some sort of temporary suspension, which is a pretty good uh, suspicion because we've seemed to always rule that out. So he's saying, hey, like if you if you have ruled it out you know first of all let us know what are the parameters what's the trigger how bad does it have to get for you to do it what is it going to look like and if you're not doing it could you kind of give us that confidence that basically this is not rooted in politics that oh politically you can't shut off travel oh you can't do that i mean really we would hope that if you know the healthcare officials think that this is significant enough which it already appears so i mean we've we've gotten people that have traveled from china to here whether they're chinese nationals or americans who traveled and came back um and brought it in and it's clearly in and uh 
one high-ranking HHS official already said over the weekend that they 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 predict more cases will come up over the next day, number of days. I mean, would it would it be that bad to suspend travel for, travel for two to three weeks? But I mean, again, this is the hold that the industry has. But but remember, if 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 Trump would push this, it would be so so popular among the American people. That is something they're going to pay attention to a lot more than impeachment. So later this week, um, the president is supposed to announce an expanded travel ban in terms of like just security or visa overstays. The group of countries that the Wall Street Journal says, assuming they're correct in their reporting, is a little bit eclectic. Um, Burma makes sense. Tanzania, Belarus, they add in there, which is a little bit weird. Maybe they have a lot of visa overstays from there. They do add Sudan, which is a must. Um, I'm trying to remember. There's a lot of random countries. And then, of course, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Egypt, Pakistan, Afghanistan, <laughs> Iraq. None of those countries are on there. So whatever. But look, I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, again, like I say, you see from this president every day, it's a mixed bag. Every day, there's elements in the administration pushing good policies. There's elements pushing back against those policies. And you kind of get a mixed bag outcome, which is why if we had a focused movement um, to basically back the president and often prod him to where his instincts really want to go, we would get even better out of out of this administration. So we're going to have that later this week. But now would be a good time while he's announcing that to announce at least a temporary suspension from China. Now, look, you know my opinion that in the long run, we need to really limit um, the amount of immigration we have from China and the foreign students we have from China. And we really need an audit of how we're vetting them just because of, you know, forget about the coronavirus, just the espionage and counterintelligence activities we see every day. Um, you know, you, you had six people over the last year or so in South uh, South Florida caught spying on um, the Key West Naval Base. You had the one from last month where they broke into the Naval Base and refused to turn around and it took a half an hour to find them. They found them snapping pictures. These were Chinese students. Uh, this is a very common problem. So again, the job of government is to prevent belligerence from coming in, to prevent diseases from coming in, to prevent things we don't don't like. As Theodore Sedgwick, the one of the founding fathers, one of the founding congressmen from uh, Massachusetts, said during the 1790 De uh, Naturalization Act debate in, in the House of Representatives, he said America is to be preferred because we pref we we've all preferred it. We prefer what we have here. It's not perfect. We have our own issues. But certainly there's a lot of things where we we really don't suffer from those problems. America is that shining city on the hill. And you, know, you have the right balance and right amount of immigration. You can make it nice. But if you have irrespons irresponsible immigration policies, that is the surest, most profound way to screw up your civilization from multiple angles. So this is really what people care about. This is what the president, these type of issues is what the president should home in on in his state, state of the Union address. This is how you win an election. But, you know, it's all about getting clicks for your website on impeachment. So um, 
that's with the with the coronavirus, and that's something we're definitely going to watch if and when there is any sort of suspension of travel, because that's the 800-pound gorilla in the room here. All right, so you talk about, and, and just one other thing I just want to mention. Uh, this Washington Times article, coronavirus may have originated in lab linked to China's bio-warfare, biowarfare program. Now, look, I don't know. This is they're just quoting from one Israeli expert or something, but this is always something you have to think about with China. I mean, this is what China does. We know they do these things. I'm not saying this originated that way. We don't know. But again, this is this is serious national security when you're dealing with anything with China. This is from Bill Gertz of The Washington Times, a veteran national security reporter. Um, he's put out good stuff over the years. The deadly animal-borne uh, coronavirus spreading globally may have originated in a laboratory in the city of Wuhan linked to China's covert biological weapons program, said an Israeli biological warfare analyst. Radio Free Asia last week rebroadcast a Wuhan television report from 2015 showing China's most advanced virus research laboratory known the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The laboratory is the only declared site in China capable of working with deadly viruses. Danny Shoham, a former Israeli military in intel officer who has studied Chinese biological warfare, said the institute is linked to Beijing's covert bioweapons program. Quote, certain laboratories in the inst institute have probably been engaged in terms of research and development in Chinese biological weapons, at least collaterally, yet not as a principal facility of the Chinese BW alignment. Um, Work on biological weapons is conducted as part of a dual civilian military research and is, quote, definitely covert, he said in an email. Um, and they talk about Mr. Shoham's uh, biography. China has denied having any offensive biological weapons, but a State Department, re Department report last year revealed suspicions of covert biological warfare work. Um, and that is the story. Look, I mean, this is this is everything. This is a big deal. This is a very big deal. And it's something. If the president at every opportunity, when there's something in the news, would demonstrate the need for strong vetting, more limited immigration, um, more restrictions on travel from certain parts of the world for varying reasons. China, we have multiple reasons to do it. Um, this is. This is the time, just like with Pensacola. I mean, this, this is the problem. We never have a concerted focus on anything. And the American people are, this is a bipartisan uh, sentiment that people are suspicious of China. American people hate the Chinese government for good reason. They lie, cheat, and steal. That's all they do. Again, I mean, I, I've said it before, a lot of, Chinese people, if not the majority of Chinese people, are good people. But when you have more travel and more immigration from China than from any other country, when they are the most subversive with asymmetrical warfare, and I'm not saying this particular case is asymmetrical warfare. It could just be a virus that, that germinated through some stupidity there, and, and it's going to spread here if we don't block it. But certainly what we do know with the counterintelligence and the spying and the trade secrets they steal every day there's someone indicted for doing this this is something that we need to be on top of and, and we're certainly 
in, in due course, going to continue covering this. What's another big issue that people care about in their communities? What's another big issue? Well, as you well know, it's crime. I would love to see the president at the State of the Union address talk about this concerning trend of losing the decades worth of decline in crime that Ronald Reagan so successfully uh, defeated, or you know, a lot of it was after he left office, but it was because of the policies he put in place and the ideas that other states have followed is all being undone today. I wanna read to you an amazing article that proves everything I've been saying on this for five years right. So the left and then the pseudo right, which is frankly 90% of my colleagues buy into this crap, um, the Koch brother nonsense, all the conservative think tanks, uh, I'm pretty much the last man standing who believes in prison anymore. So they had this great narrative. Now, how do you abolish prison? You, you can't get up before the American people and say, hey, you know, no prison. Uh, we're, we're just letting out all the bad guys in the streets and no one's going to bite. And that includes most Democrat voters. No, no one wants that. So they had this great narrative. No, look, you don't understand. See, we've incarcerated a bunch of first time, nonviolent, uh, low level offenders, low level drugs, low level this. Our, our, our prisons are just brimming with with people that don't need to be there, it costs so much money, it makes them even worse, it's counterintuitive. So they had a great narrative. You just stop doing that and you let them out and you know, low-level offenders, so you save a bunch of money. Um, you, you don't expose low-level people to high-level criminals that make them worse. Um, they can get jobs, they're back, you know, back in society, and crime won't go up, but you'll save a bunch of money. It's a win-win. I mean, who could who could oppose this? Now, there was one problem. It was such a good lie that it wasn't true. I mean, sometimes you could lie to yourself so much, but it's so not the reality that you're mugged by reality in three minutes that that's just not what's happening. Like, you're right if that were true, but it's not. And the reality is we almost never locked up people for meaningful amounts of time for low-level drugs or low-level anything. The reality is that almost everyone in prison, the prison... Um, population of America that's more than Europe and many other countries is being driven almost exclusively by violent repeat offenders, not first-time low-level offenders. And the reality is, even with that high level of incarceration, we've already gone backwards the last 10 years uh, in the federal system and in almost every state, reducing the prison population. The reality is crime is already going up. The reality is that even with all that incarceration, there are so many repeat violent offenders of the worst of the worst that serve very little and are under-sentenced or never sentenced, never out as we report every day. So, oopsie-daisy. How do we promote a jailbreak agenda? So, I always love when the, the official left, not the right-leaning conservative establishment left, talks about this issue because they're honest. And I've been highlighting these articles as they come up but they often say like, hey, dude, you know, if you want to make a dent in that prison population, you're going to have to let out violent criminals, as we're seeing New York and California and other states, even red states are doing all the time. But at least they admit it. This is Danielle Sered. Um, She wrote an op ed over the weekend in uh, or maybe it was late last week. In 
the USA Today. She is the executive director of Common Justice, the author of, quote, Until We Reckon, Violence, Mass Incarceration, and the Road to Repair. So she has the article titled, and I love this, To End Mass Incarceration, U.S. Needs Alternatives to Prison for Violent Criminals. There we go. Let's the cat out of the bag. Um, nearly a decade ago, I sat across from a young man who, whose body still bore a scar from an assault he had sustained. The person who hurt him was facing a substantial prison sentence for the crime. This survivor was given a choice. Did he want that person's sentence or did he want him in a res- restorative justice program? <laughs> That's their euphemism, by the way. He chose the program because, as he put it, if I have to choose between my safety and revenge, I'm going to choose my safety. Prison would only give me revenge. At the end of the day, I want to be safe. Um, and, you know, they, they go through all these mass incarceration, these, these sweeping jailbreaks. She talks about the, the, how Oklahoma, as we reported, released over 460 people from prison, more than any single day mass commutation in American history. Kansas is considering similar actions. Cities from Philadelphia to San Francisco have elected prosecutors who ran on platforms promising to reduce the prison population. Um, even at a federal level, Democrats and Republicans acknowledge the necessity of criminal justice reform. Um, and she goes through all this stuff. But then she says, but there's a problem. I love it. I love their honesty. As consensus and momentum to end mass incarceration have grown, the reform narrative, though compelling, has been based on a fallacy that the United States can achieve large-scale transformative change by changing responses primarily to nonviolent offenses. That is impossible in a nation where 55% of people incarcerated in state prisons in 2016 were convicted of violent crimes. And it's really, I mean, if you look at a lot of that, it's really closer to 90% because a lot of those are people who were in there previously on violent crimes. And this past one, it's on drugs or firearms. They don't consider firearms uh, violent crime. It's only violent for law-abiding citizens to exercise their right, but not for criminals. Um, she says, to truly have an impact on mass incarceration, we need to reckon with that reality. Um, and then she goes on to you know, push her stuff that she has this pink unicorn and stuff that you know, is going to just you know, sing kumbaya and you're going to reduce violent crime without incarceration. Now, that's obviously pink unicorns, but hey, Danielle uh, Sered, props for being honest. Friends, when you hear conservatives talking about criminal justice reform, just realize that they're a bunch of fools and they won't admit what the left will admit. That if you're going to buy into the notion that we have an over-incarceration problem and that, that, that the goal is reducing the prison population, not public safety, the goal is reducing the prison population, you will be letting out almost exclusively violent people. Just be honest about that. If you're okay with that, then, which I think people like Mike Lee, who's really a more avid supporter of this, I think he deep down supports that from what I know about him. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think he's more or less in that camp. But be a man and articulate it. Stand up and be honest with it. Because this is what we're, what we're seeing everywhere. Just over, over the weekend, San Francisco Chronicle, San Francisco's DA, this is the famous Chesa Bodine. Uh, he was, uh, uh, his step-parents were um, Bernadine Dorn and uh, um, what's his name? The weatherman terrorist um, who uh, blew up stuff. Uh, they raised him because his parents were convicted of a notorious bank robbery. 
um, killing a cop. He dropped assault charges against Jamaica Hampton, who was caught on video slamming a bottle into a police officer's face. Okay. Let's, let, let's see a little bit more here. New York jailbreak. There was a nude man who entered a woman's home in Corning, New York. So this is not even in, this is happening everywhere. Corning, small town, upstate New York, not just New York, New York City. He was released with no bail after he entered a woman's home naked. Um, then he stole a car the same day he was released. And there's like a hundred of these stories. I, I forgot all of them. I mean, you see, follow me on Twitter. You'll see. I, I'll tweet them out throughout the day as I see them. Um, but this is from the the what is this called? The leader.com. I guess it's the local paper there in uh, that part of New York. And, you know, again, this is just a demonstration when they talk about, oh, we're just like prosecuting, locking up people for no reason. Uh, these the, these are not the exceptions. These these people are part of the rule. These people are those who they catch on a daily basis. A man who allegedly trespassed Thursday in the apartment of a corning woman while naked and walking a dog, then was charged, released, and arrested later in the same day on charges of stealing a car, is in Steuben County Jail, awaiting extradition to Pennsylvania on a probation violation. <laughs> so that's another thing. He was, he, he was already let out on something else in Pennsylvania, so at least he's going to go back to Pennsylvania. So hopefully he'll be held. Um, and they say Walter was taken into custody, charged with second degree criminal trespassing from entering the apartment of a female resident. Um, let's see where we go. According to the new state law, he had to be let out. Um, he was staying in an area hotel and was they were unable to locate him. We continued to this. The police officer talking, talking, we continued to patrol for him. And at about 3.10 p.m., uh, Steuben County 911 dispatch patrolman in, to the area of Bridge Street near uh, Pultaney Street for a subject that had just stolen a motor vehicle. And it turned out to be him. He was arrested and charged with third degree um, grand larceny. And again, notice third degree grand larceny. We talked about this before, how sometimes just because of the evidence, because of the circumstances, the most straight up, whether it's larceny, assault, robbery, and then even murder and rape, second and third degree is often the what they even start out with, um, not first degree. So that's a big part of why, to begin with, the whole scope of the sentencing is low. Then you get the early release, you get the jailbreak, and no one serves time anymore. But we have an over-incarceration problem. See, that's a whole nother big lie even among those arrested and, and I guess grand larceny wouldn't be considered a violent crime, but I mean, that's devastating to society. If you let these people on the streets um, and this is where we have all the problems, that's not even considered violent, but I'm saying even with the assaults and rapes and robberies, um, like I said, that guy, the guy that set off the firestorm with ice fighting against New York city officials, uh, the guy who was an illegal alien from Guyana, who was accused of, murdering a 92 year old woman in queens new york and her dead body was found raped and, and murdered in the streets of, of queens he was only charged with second degree murder not first degree so again i mean th this is how even tons of murderers as i said last week on my show 
40% of murderers serve less than 10 years. Um, and that was as of a while ago. I'm, I'm sure if, you, if BJS, Bureau of Justice Statistics, did a new study, they would find the numbers are even lower. So this entire jailbreak thing is built on a lie. Trump has an opportunity to pound away on this issue. Pound away on it. This needs to be a big part of the State of the Union address. But this is what it is. Safety, security, culture health concerns. This is what people care about. If we had a party and a movement banging away at this every day instead of their hot take on Bolton's lawyer and, you know, the every aspect of of the proceedings and and and, and again, I'm able to be patient and wait this out a week or two or three however long it lasts, but this is not going to end because it didn't start with this. Every day of this administration was about something similar with Mueller. We never had a sustained conservative movement focusing on any issue. And again, this gets back to Trump because Trump, you could tell even with this stuff going on, he's trying to do some good things. I mean, he he announced last week that that good order that is going to go into place where they're finally going to get rid of birth tourism, at least to an extent. And now he's considering expanding the travel ban. Now, there's a lot more. We need to talk about the courts. Crazy stuff going on in the courts. Uh, they're already shutting down the first one. But, you know, he needs to get more aggressive on the courts. But again, you, you know, I can't blame Trump. It's not like there's a, a, a chorus of people like me on Fox News that he actually hears saying, hey, Mr. President, here's what you could do. Here's a winning issue. It's good policy. It's good politics. It'll be good for your reelection. It'll be good for the country. It'll be good messaging. Use your bully pulpit. Use your executive power. Veto this budget bill. Demand this in a budget bill. This is what we do on this program pretty much every day. But I can't do it alone. That's why I need your help to send this in every show to 50 of your friends and relatives. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Conservative Review uh, YouTube page, conservativereview.com for our print articles at RM Conservative on Twitter and email me comments, questions, and concerns at dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all and thank you for listening.